How you doing, Rock Family? Pastor Miles here. Uh, next week, I'll be back, and we're going to start a series called Thanks and Giving, where we're going to learn the benefits of being generously thankful. But today, I want to introduce to you a friend of mine, Keith, Pastor Keith Kraft from Elevate Life Church in Dallas. He is not only a big boy physically, but he's a big boy spiritually. He sends me encouragement every week, every Sunday to encourage me for uh, my sermon. I'm in his church preaching on the third option, so... Uh, I know he's going to bless you today, so I'm going to ask all of you to stand to your feet and give a powerful rock welcome to Pastor Keith Kraft. Thank you so much. Thank you. So great to be with you. I just want to say that, uh, thank you, but before you're seated, I want to pray for you, but I want to tell you that your pastor already has preached twice for us in Texas, and of course... He brought it. So I want to say, I want to say to y'all, y'all are spoiled. Y'all are spoiled. This worship, y'all are spoiled. You got, you got, you got Miles Monroe for a pastor, Miles, Miles McPherson, Miles McPherson for a pastor and you are spoiled and say, I'm glad to be spoiled. Come on. I'm Cause guess what? God loves blessing his people. So we're, we're grateful you're here. Let me pray for you. Holy Spirit, I invite you to interrupt every person's natural with your supernatural right now. I ask you, Holy Spirit, just to come and in these next few minutes, use this, this, this human called me to glorify you. And God, you, you are everything. You are the alpha, the omega, the beginning, the end, the first, the last. And God, your word says that your ways are higher than ours, that your thoughts are higher than ours. And as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are your thoughts and your ways higher than ours. And so God, I thank you that your word continues and it goes on to say this, that you will send your word and it will not return void, but you will make it produce. And so God, I thank you that today is a day that we're going to grow through what we go through and we're going to have a breakthrough in this place today in the name of Jesus. Somebody put a big amen on that. It's an honor to be with you. You may be seated. Um, a few years ago, I was here 2013 on the release of my book, Your Divine Fingerprint. And I just, uh, since then, I've actually put together a package that has not only the book, but a study guide, DVDs, or USB to go with it. And uh, this is to help people discover that you have a fingerprint that nobody else has to leave an imprint that nobody else can leave. I grew up uh, in a cop's home. My dad was a Dallas policeman. And uh, in fact, just to give you a little bit of history, he was the first man up in the Texas Book Depository in the JFK assassination. He found Lee Harvey Oswald's rifle in his chicken box. And he did that crime scene investigation. And so I grew up uh, with a dad who in the Dallas area was very well known every year at the anniversary, if you want to call it that, of the JFK assassination, he would be on the news talking about it. Was it one gunman? Was it, you know, multiple people? Was it a conspiracy? And for 50 years, he did that before he went to be with the Lord. And, uh, but he was a forensics ex expert. And, um, and he taught me about how important my fingerprint was. And then when I was 14 years old, I was sitting in a church service like this. And, 
And the pastor said, look at your hand. And I looked at my hand. In fact, I'm gonna ask you to do that. Just stick your hand out in front of you. And he said, at the end of your fingertip is a fingerprint that nobody in history has ever had, that nobody in the future will ever have. And, and then God spoke to me for the first time when I was 14 in 1974. And he said, to leave an imprint that nobody else can leave. So God made you very unique. I also just want to give a warm greeting to all the campuses, East County, San Marcos, San, how do you say that? Yoshido? That's my Japanese right there. City Heights, the, all the microsites online. Let's give them a big hand. Thank you guys for being with us. Thousands and thousands and thousands of people. But, but growing up with my dad was very unusual because he did not know the Lord. All growing up, he didn't know the Lord. And yet God drew me early. By the time I was nine years old, I was down at the altar going, God, I want more of you. And I remember when I was called to ministry when I was nine years old and I told my dad, he goes, what does that mean? I go, I have absolutely no idea. Maybe I'll be in Africa. I don't know. Or San Diego someday. But, but he, he didn't even understand that. But one of the things that he did understand was spending time with me. And I remember one day he said, hey, come go get in the car with me. And uh, I always liked, my, my dad was a car guy. He, lo he loved fixing cars. Uh, I can't fix anything. How many of y'all can't fix anything? And if you're a man and you can't fix nothing, you better make a lot of money because you're going to have to hire somebody to fix everything. So uh, I fix people here, but I can't do this. Anyway. So my dad, uh, he said, come, come jump in the car. I said, what are we driving today, dad? He said, the 69 Cuda. Now some of y'all don't know, but, uh, but I am, I, I, I enjoy cars. And so 69 Cuda when I was a kid was like, oh my goodness, 160 miles on the speedometer. I said, where are we going, dad? He didn't say anything. My dad wasn't a big talker. Again, he was a cop. He always drove so slow. It wasn't about how fast the car went. It was just a cool car. And so he always drove so slow because he was a cop. He's always luck looking. I go, can we go, like, at least go the speed limit, dad? Because, you know, uh, I said, isn't it against the law not to go the speed limit? He goes, you in a hurry? I go, no, sir. I just think we ought to just go the speed limit and not 10 miles an hour. <laughs> he said, come get in the car. I said, where are we going? He didn't say anything. We drove and drove and drove. We drove an hour. We drove two hours. At the two and a half hour mark, we came into a city called Muskogee, Oklahoma. It was where my dad was born. He still didn't say where we were going and still to this day, I'm 58 now, we pulled into one of the poorest neighborhoods I'd ever seen in my life. I've been to South Africa, I've seen the shanty villages over there. If you've never been there, you gotta know that the movie District 9 is a, a close portrayal to how people live. And I've been all around the world, but I still to this day have not seen a neighborhood like this. I saw in Muskogee, Oklahoma that day. We drove in front of this house and it was the dilapidated house. There was no front door. It was just a screen door on the front door. There were no window panes on the windows. There's no glass, just glass had been knocked out. We walked inside this house and there was no furniture. In fact, there was no floor. It was a dirt floor. And uh, there were different kind of animals there. I can't remember all of them. I just remember seeing different kind of feces on the ground and thinking in my mind, what in the world? No furniture except an old couch with an old man sitting over in the corner. As we approached this old man, I grabbed my dad's hand and my dad still didn't say anything. We walked right up to that old man and my dad said, hi, dad. 
And for the first time I was looking at my grandfather who I'd never heard my dad talk about ever. We never talked about the way he grew up, none of that stuff, just never, I was only 11. He said, this is your grandson, Keith, and this older man that I'd never seen with no teeth, didn't look at me, didn't acknowledge me. And as he and my dad, or my dad continued to talk to him, he said, I brought you some money. He had a, my dad had a brown bag and he said, I've got you some candy in here. And I just kind of stepped back and just as a little kid, you know, as an 11 year old, I'm thinking what, you know, I just felt very uncomfortable. And I, I was ready to go the first, you know, when we drove up in front of the house and it wasn't been about five minutes, but we were walking out the door and I grabbed my dad's hand and I said, I never want to come back here. My dad stopped and looked at me and said, that's why I brought you here. He said, because this is where we're from, but this is not who we are. And I came here today to tell you this. I don't know where you come from. But I just know where you're going, God's got a great, great plan for you. He's got a great, great plan for you. So my dad taught me about the importance of a fingerprint and leaving an imprint. And he didn't come to know God until he had a massive heart attack when he was 67 years old. And he had an encounter with God and he lived almost 20 more years to give glory and honor to God in the latter part of his life. And I say all that to say this, that one of the things that I do, I'm not just a pastor, but I'm also a coach. I'm a life coach. I'm a business coach. I coach over 122 CEOs and small business owners. And I've helped people discover what their fingerprint is. If God gave you a fingerprint in the natural that nobody in history's ever had and nobody in the future will ever have, then it's certainly to do more than identify you at the scene of a crime. He must have some reason and some imprint for you to make in your family that nobody else has ever made, for you to make in your business that nobody else has ever made, for you to make in your life that nobody else has ever made. And so if I could help you, one of the best, best ways I could do that is just to hopefully be able to offer you a resource that'll help you discover and develop and deploy that. And I'd love to meet you after the service if, if that interests you. And then the only other thing I want to mention to you is I brought what's called Leadershipology with me, Leadershipology 101. This is the best bathroom book in the world today. You know, most people spend way too much in the time in the bathroom. I do. And I've always thought in my mind, I need to get the bad stuff out, but I need to get some good stuff in. And so there's a, there's a quote on one side and just a small description on the other side. And there's a worship album that comes with that. So avail yourself to that. And then I'm wearing the, the, the fingerprint t-shirt and I just think it's a cool t-shirt and it's got the quote on the back of it. So that's my model for you. All right. So I came to talk to you today about, and it's, it's really right out of this, this, this thought process in the book of your divine fingerprint, that you have a think, be, do. And I want you just to kind of tune in with me here for a minute. You have a philosophy of life and you may not know it. In fact, if somebody were to ask you, no matter how old you are or where you've come from, what is your philosophy of life? You might first just kind of pause and say, well, what do you mean? But the truth is each one of us have a philosophy of life right now that we're, that we're living our life by. And it's a philosophy that's by default or by design. And in the next few minutes, I wanna to talk to you about that because you have a way of thinking that determines who you are or a way of being. And your think plus your be plus your do determines what you have in life. And so if you could just see a math equation with me for a minute, 
that everybody here thinks. In fact, it's impossible not to think. But too often times we just default to an African-American way of thinking, a white way of thinking. We default to a poor way of thinking. We default to a, a way of thinking like my dad said, we're not gonna think this way about how we were raised and we never get past it. Maybe it's a poverty mentality like I, my, my grandfather obviously had and died in poverty except for my dad giving him money for the rest of his life. You see, some of us never get our, past our way of thinking and we don't even realize it. And so my question for you today to help you think, not to tell you what to think, but to help you think is who taught you how to think like you think? And when I coach people, and especially high level business people, one of the things that I'm doing is I'm challenging their defaults, I'm challenging their normal thinking process. Do you know that the word greatness means to go beyond your normal? So anything that's great in your life, let me just ask you a question. How many of you want a great life? Come on, not just a life, but a great life. Anything that's in the area of great lies beyond what is your normal. And so until you realize that, that you've got to think and you've got to be and you've got to do, you've got a philosophy of life that you think, be and do with, and therefore everything you have, the marriage that you have, the finances that you have, the career that you have, the life that you have, going backwards is a result, watch this, not of what somebody else thought about you, not of how somebody else was with you, not based on what somebody else did to you, but it's the way you think, the way you be, and the way you do. That's what determines what you have. So I wanna lay that foundation and just talk to you about that for a few minutes. And just as, a, as, as kind of a premise for us to take the next few minutes and, and to really have a conversation about. The Bible says in Proverbs 23, verse seven, for as he thinks in his heart, as he thinks in his heart, so is he. Proverbs 4.23 says this, keep your heart with all diligence because out of your heart flows your issues. You may think that you have an issue with a person. You may think that you have an issue on your job, but let me tell you what the Bible says or an issue in your family. The Bible says out of your heart flow your issues. Not if I could get rid of that person or if I could get rid of this marriage or if I could get another job or, or if I could just get, make more money or whatever. No, the issue is not the issue. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. And out of the abundance of a man's heart flow his or her issues. What's your issue today? What's the biggest thing that you're dealing with today? Every one of us has something. Let's go back for just a minute to our level of thinking about that. Because here's what I believe. When you elevate your thinking, you elevate your life. Let me say that again. When you elevate your thinking, you elevate your life. And that's what the word of God does. Again, I prayed a scripture in my prayer just a minute ago, Isaiah 55. For my thoughts, says the Lord, are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my thoughts and my ways higher than yours. Now here's what God's saying. He's not bragging that he's God and that he thinks better than you or does better than you or is better than you. He's inviting you as your God to think, be, and do like him. So we pick up the story with Jesus and this is called the temptation. 
Luke, the fourth chapter, the Bible says that Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit. Everybody say filled with the Holy Spirit. And he returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted 40 days by the devil. And in those days, he ate nothing. And afterwards, they ended and he was hungry. Now, here's what's interesting. The, the Bible says that Jesus was filled with the Spirit and therefore he was led by the Spirit. And here's the weird thing, into a wilderness. He was filled with the Spirit and was led by the Spirit, watch this, into temptation. Wow. In other words, we've got to understand this that whatever we are full of, we are led by. So Jesus was full of the Spirit, therefore he was led by the Spirit, that even though he went through a tough time in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights and didn't eat anything and was tempted by the devil, watch this now, the Bible says that he came out of that wilderness in the power of the Spirit. And too often times we don't understand that whatever we're full of, we are led by. So if you're full of anger, you're going to be led by anger. If you're full of hurt, you're going to be led by hurt. If you're full of sorrow, you're going to be led by sorrow. So the Bible says that the devil came to Jesus and he said, he said, if you really are the son of God, then turn these stones into bread. Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God, the word of God, live by the word of God. The Bible says that, that Jesus, Jesus was tempted by the devil again, that the devil came to him again. And he said, you know what? Really, if you are the son of God, why don't you throw yourself off this mountain? God, will, God will, will give charge concerning you and you won't dash your foot against the stone. He'll bury you up. Jesus said, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. The devil comes to him again and says, hey, why don't you just bow down and worship me? Now, isn't that ridiculous? Even if the devil came to you and said, hey, why don't you worship me? You'd go, get out of here, devil. But that isn't what the devil was saying. I want you to think about all three of these temptations was really about one thing. Watch this. Not stones being turned to bread, not Jesus showing that God was God and he was Jesus by jumping off a building and proving that God would save him. Not by not bowing down and worshiping the devil, but here's what all the temptation of Jesus was about. And it's the same temptation that you and I have. And here's what it is. To settle for less than what God has for you. The number one thing that the devil, the enemy of your soul, and he is real, wants you to do is settle for what's less in your marriage, settle for what's less in your family, settle for what's less in your life, settle for what's less financially, settle for what's less in your career. In other words, just to settle in and think, hey, get a survival mentality and just try to make it through and get some hope in the middle of your hopelessness, get some help in the middle of your helplessness. And there's so much more God has for you than that. You see, Jesus went through this temptation because he wanted to show us something. He wanted to show us how to think, how to be, how to do. Everybody say, think, be, do. So here's my challenge to you. Three things. First of all, to think spirit-led. God, I want to be led by your spirit. We live in a world today where if you're watching the news, you're not being led by the spirit. 
You're being led by what they decide they're going to talk about on the news. Now, I'm not getting on you if you watch the news. Watch it if you want to. But I just, I'm just into this thing, and I've got about 50 translations in here. This looks like a phone, but it's actually a Bible. And you know what I've decided to do? I've decided to be led not by my phone, but by the Word of God and every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Now, let me tell you one of the, one of the strategies of the devil against you to keep you from thinking spirit-led, and that is... The devil doesn't want you to know that you can be forgiven for all your sins. And the devil doesn't want you to know that you have the power to forgive. You see, the truth is, when you're not forgiven, you live in guilt. When you're not forgiven, you live in shame. When you're not forgiven, you lose hope. When you're not forgiven, you go through life and you never reach your full God-given potential and you settle for less than what God has for you because you don't feel like you deserve it. And all of us at some point have been there. That's why when Jesus went to the cross, here's what he said, forgive them for they know not what they do. You see, one of the traps that the enemy wants to set against you in your life is for you to feel like you can't be forgiven for what you did on your worst day. And that because you did what you did, that maybe only you know that you did, that God surely couldn't really love you. Well, let me just tell you, you being unforgiven qualifies you not only for God's forgiveness, but for God's unfailing love. And can I just encourage you today? You start to think spirit-filled, spirit-led when you say, I'm not going to allow bitterness or hurt or pain to keep me from having the superpower that God's given me to forgive others, but I must be forgiven myself. Even one of Jesus' own disciples named Judas could not forgive himself. And guess what his only option was? It wasn't option one, option two, or the third option. He chose the fourth option, which was to end his life. People who walk in unforgiveness and people who don't feel forgiven don't feel like they deserve the best. This was on national news recently, and I just thought it was a good story on the news that needs to be told. Watch this. We end tonight with one of the most potent powers on earth. It can change lives in an instant. Everyone has it. It's the power to forgive. Watch it now in action in Steve Hartman's Assignment America. Thank you, Lord. In a small apartment building in North Minneapolis, a 59-year-old teacher's aide sings praise to God for no seemingly apparent reason. Indeed, if anyone was to have issues with the Lord, it would be Mary Johnson. For all you've done for me. He never had a chance. In February 1993, Mary's son, Loramian Bird, was shot to death during an argument at a party. He was 20, and Mary's only child. My son was gone. The killer was a 16-year-old kid named O'Shea Israel. I wanted justice. He was an animal. He deserved to be caged. And he was. Tried as an adult and sentenced to 25 and a half years, O'Shea served 17 before being recently released. He now lives back in the old neighborhood, close to Mary. This close. He lives next door. Next door. How a convicted murderer ended up living a door jam away from his victim's mother is a story not of horrible misfortune, as you might expect, 
but of remarkable mercy. A few years ago, Mary asked if she could meet O'Shea here at Minnesota's Stillwater State Prison. As a devout Christian, she felt compelled to see if there was some way, if somehow she could forgive her son's killer. What'd she say to you? I believe the first thing she said was, look, you don't know me, I don't know you, let's just start with right now. And I was befuddled myself. O'Shea says they met regularly after that. When he got out, she introduced him to her landlord, who, with Mary's blessing, invited O'Shea to move into the building. Today, they don't just live close, they are close. Clearly, Mary was able to forgive. Unforgiveness is like cancer. It will eat you from the inside out. It's not about that other person. Me forgiving him does not diminish what he's done. Yes, he murdered my son, but the forgiveness is for me. It's for me. For O'Shea, it hasn't been that easy. I haven't totally forgiven myself yet. I'm learning how to forgive myself, and I'm still growing towards, you know, trying to forgive myself and what it is I've done. To that end, O'Shea is now busy proving himself to himself. He works at a recycling plant by day and goes to college by night. He says he's determined to pay back Mary's clemency by contributing to society. In fact, he's already working on it, singing the praises of God and forgiveness at prisons, churches, to large audiences everywhere. Forgiveness is a powerful thing. Yes, I'm grateful. Which explains why Mary can sing her praise of thanks to her audience of one. Steve Hartman, CBS News, Minneapolis. For all you've done for me. So, so I was preparing this message. And God brought this story to my mind because how do we think spirit led? When you allow God to forgive you of your sins, you're allowing his super to come into your natural. And when his super comes into your natural, not only do you get washed from head to toe from the inside out, but then he gives you this superpower to be able to forgive other people. And you see, when we don't forgive, it's like drinking our own poison. But here's what God knows. God knows that the enemy does his best to hurt you early and to cause pain in your life early so that he can get you on the side of life where you think this is all there is. I can't think any different, but I'm gonna tell you, you can think different. And it starts by being forgiven by God. And then he gives you this power to forgive. It's thinking spirit led. Here's the B part. So how we think determines how we be. My challenge to you is to be core values based. You say, what does that mean? To be core values based, to decide what it is that matters most to you. I can't tell you what matters most to you. I can tell you what matters most to me, but you have to decide what matters most to you. Do you know that there's some people that go through their life and they get more of what they don't want rather than what they want because they never decide what it is they really want? It's hard to decide what you want. Watch this, listen to me, ladies. It's hard to decide the kind of guy you want if you don't know what matters most to you. So most people pick the wrong people because they don't know what matters most to them and they don't align their what matters most with somebody else. They just think, I wanna be loved, I wanna be cared for. 
Most people in their career, they haven't decided what matters most, so they even choose the wrong career because they haven't decided what matters most to them. You see, the temptation of of Jesus was to really clarify what mattered most to him. Worship the Lord and worship him only. Live your life by the word of God. This is what matters most. And then you can't tempt the Lord your God. So guess what? As a son and daughter of the most high God, devil, you can't get me to settle for second best. I'm going to have the best marriage. I'm going to have the best finances. I'm going to have the best career. I'm going to have the best relationships. I'm going to have the best life because I'm going to decide what matters most to me. I was 15 and my dad walked in the room and said, we're moving to New Orleans, Louisiana. I thought, Louisiana, it starts with lose. <laughs> we live in Dallas, Texas. He said, I'm retiring as a policeman. I'm taking a new job. Long story short, we moved to a place called Slidell. Slidell, Louisiana is 30 miles east of New Orleans. And, and I'll never forget uh, the first day I was at Slido High School, I, the basketball coach came to me. Now up on this stage, y'all can't tell I'm 6'6", but I'm 6'6". But I was 6'3", I weighed about 165 pounds wet. If I turned sideways and stuck my tongue out, I looked like a zipper. I mean, I was skinny. When we moved to Slidell, the first day I was there, the basketball coach said, hey, I want you to, I want you to come, come uh, do you play basketball? I said, yes, sir. He said, I want you to come to our game tonight. We're playing our crosstown rivals. Just sit on the bench with us. Obviously, you can't suit up, but sit on the bench with us, and we'd like you to be a part of our team. But come watch tonight. My first, my first night in town, my first game to watch. And as I'm watching the basketball game, I got distracted because on the other side of the court, here's what I saw. And I turned to the guy next to me and I said, who is that? He said, well, she's got a a boyfriend, but there's one right down there that looks just like her. And they were twins. They were both gorgeous. One was taken, one was mine. I turned to that guy and said, I'm gonna meet that girl. That night, we went to the McDonald's. That was the big hangout in Slidell. She was sitting with all her little cheerleader friends. I walked up to the table. I looked her right in the eye. All her little friends, everybody stopped talking. I looked to her. I said, would you like a Dr. Pepper? She goes, yes. All her friends started laughing. They all got up. I got her Dr. Pepper. Make a long story short, I invited myself over to her house. It's my first night in town. I'm 15. We go over to her house and we walk in the front door and we're about to sit down. And I said, hey, before, before anything, I just got something I got to tell you. She goes, what? I said, I'm a born again, spirit-filled Christian. She didn't say anything. She just walked out of the room. I thought, well, I've taken my stand for God. That's not important to her. So I'm getting ready to walk out the door and her and her mother came back in the room and her mother said, you're a born again and you're a spirit-filled Christian. I stuck out my chest I didn't have. I said, yes, ma'am, I am. She goes, that's so wonderful. We've been believing our God for our daughter to be friends with people like you. And I said, I'm here. I'm here. God has sent me here to be your daughter's friend. They're both smiling. Make a long story short, we dated our sophomore year in high school, our junior year in high school. They got some pictures. And, uh, this is 1975, so y'all have to understand the puka shells. Come on, I'm taking y'all back, 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 back. Yeah, that's us right there. Come on, yeah, there we are. So we go through high school, then we go to college together. And so we go to dances together. We're dressing it up, dressing it down. 
wearing our puffy vest. That's her with her twin sister right there. I saw the one on the right first, but the, the one on the left became my girlfriend. Hey, you know what happened? I asked her to be my girlfriend. On January 20th, 1976, I had just turned 16, she was 15. And I said, before you say anything, I said, I have this philosophy about how relationships are supposed to work. And she goes, really? I go, yeah. And so at 16, I had my first leadership seminar and I took out a piece of paper and I drew this triangle just like this. And I said, this is you on the left and this is me on the right and this is God at the top. And I drew two arrows and I said, I believe if you'll be your best for God and I'll be my best for God, whatever we decide, he'll make it work. I said, what do you think about that? So she goes, I like that. (laughs) I said, if you say yes, let me just tell you one more thing. I said, on the 20th of every month, I'm gonna honor your yes because you don't have to say yes. And she said, I say yes. Yesterday was October 20th, 2018. We celebrated 514 months together. She's in the room. Sheila, would you stand? That's my high school sweetheart right there, y'all. That's my girl right there. That's my girl right there. Keep standing, Sheila. I got a question for you. Have I celebrated you for 514 months? Did I give you some roses on the 20th? Yes, I did. You know why? Because I said I was going to honor that yes. I didn't know when I was 16 that I had core values. But I said, this is what matters to me. Honor matters to me. Here's what matters to me. Being my best for God matters for me. She said yes. She's been saying yes ever since. I'm telling you, this stuff works, folks. And it's true. It's true. It's true. (laughs) And then they came along. Eeny, meeny, and miny, because she said, no more. This is my kids. That's Josh, and that's Keela, and that's Whitney. That was in one day where they were crowned homecoming queen and princesses. Today, my son is a lead pastor with me in my church. My daughter, Keela, is a little prophet warrioress. She's on my leadership team. She's a pastor with me as well. And my young daughter leads our church in worship every week. Mr. Miles got to see all of them on stage today glorifying God. They minister with their mama. Here's what I'm telling you. Core values work. And they work for you. They work for your family. And you don't have to settle for second best. God's got great things in your future in the name of Jesus. The last picture is last Christmas. I am a freaking grandfather now. Hey, put it up there, guys. This is the whole family. I know y'all don't care about this. I'm just showing you this because I want you to know everything I'm telling you works. I said everything I'm telling you works. If you'll think spirit-led, here's what God will do. If you'll be core values-based, you will do a masterpiece in life. God wants your marriage to be a masterpiece. It might look like a massacre. But when God adds his super to your natural, he makes a massacre a masterpiece. God wants you to do a masterpiece family. God wants you to do a masterpiece life. And it's well within your grasp to do it. And you know where it all starts? Is by thinking, God, I want your spirit. Okay, then you got to receive my forgiveness. And if you receive my forgiveness, Keith Craft, I'll give you the power to forgive. And when you get the power to forgive, the person who forgives 
is the greatest problem solver in the universe. You know why our world has so many problems? Because people have so much unforgiveness. Let me say that one more time. You know why our world has so many problems? Because people have so much unforgiveness. I thank God for a man named Miles McPherson who's teaching the third option. And it goes way beyond racism. It's, hey, love your neighbor as yourself. Love your brother. Love your sister. Forgive people and watch the world begin to be solved by a great, great God. And every problem that you have, he takes and he fixes. Let me pray for you. Hey, would you bow your heads and on all the campuses, just bow your heads with me. We're so honored to have you join us. Every one of you here, listen. God has a great plan for your life. But you've got to realize he's not going to think for you. You've got to think for yourself. He's not going to be for you. You've got to be the person he's created you to be. He's not going to do for you. You see, your think, be, do is very uniquely you. And if you're here and you say, you know what? I just need to get my life right. I'm going to tell you something. He'll fix your think, be, do. And he'll make your life valuable. And he'll make the more your life is valuable, the more value you'll offer other people. And if you're here right now, all across this campus, or if you're watching online, or if you're joining us in one of our other campuses, I want to ask you a very important question. Are you right with God? It doesn't matter what's happened in your life. I can tell you the enemy never stops. He never stops his temptation to try to get you to settle for less. But if you're here and you say, I don't want to settle for less. I want to be forgiven and I want to have the power to forgive I want to be the person that God's created me to be with nothing holding me back. If that's you and you're ready, I'm going to tell you something. Everything in your life is about to change for the better. Every head is bowed and every eye is closed. If you're here on every campus and you say, I need to get my life right with God. If that's you on the count of three, slip up your hand. One, two, three. Come on, all over this place, just slip it up. I need to get my life right with God hundreds of hands right here and then all across all campuses. You can put your hands down. Everybody look up here at me now. I want you to know God has so much love for you and that's why he sent his only son. But see, I've got to believe. I've got to be the one that believes. I've got to be the one that says, God, I need you. I've got to be the one that receives his forgiveness. And when I do, he washes me and cleanses me from all unrighteousness, the Bible says. He takes every sin I've ever committed. And as far as the East is from the West, he removes it from us. You see, this isn't about religion. It's not about being churchy. It's not about being one of them. It's about you stepping into your divine purpose and God being your Father and Jesus being your Lord. I'm gonna invite every person here and on every campus just to stand with me right now. Everybody stand up with me right now. And I want you to listen very carefully to what I'm about to tell you. If you're here and you say, Keith, I raised my hand, or even if you didn't, even if you didn't, but you say, I need to get my life right with God. I don't care if you're in the furthest balcony or if you're in the furthest campus from where we are. When I count to three, 
I want you, don't worry about the people around you, they'll move and they're gonna celebrate you because in just a minute, not a couple of people, but dozens and dozens and dozens of people, maybe hundreds of people are gonna say, I'm getting it right between me and God today. And if that's you on the count of three, whether you raised your hand or not, you say, I'm ready to get it right. I want his forgiveness and I want his power to forgive to be in my life like never before. If that's you on three, you step forward and you come right now. You ready? One, two, what's somebody going to think? It doesn't matter what they think. You come right now. Three, let's give my hand as they come. Come on, just come stand. I'm going to pray with you right here. Come on, let's give my hand as they come. Don't let anything hold 